0: Yeah, I don't know that these things would have happened if we weren't here already putting our voices out. So, even if the the community is small, it's pretty
1: strong. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. With me is my co-host Eric Klein.
2: Hi, Paul. It's great to be here again, podcasting and radio broadcasting with you again on Radio Survivor. And, and I'm Paul Reismandel. That's my full name. Oh, <laughs> we didn't do that. Of we all didn't things? do that, but that's okay. We've just done it. You see. We're we're showing people (laughs) how you do radio. When you start your show, you introduce yourself and you tell everybody that your show is about what it is about. And our show is about community media, the sound of strong communities. So we talk about non-commercial radio, college radio, community radio. Podcasting, podcasting internet radio. When it's for audiences that are a community and not just... um, However you define it.
1: I think I think we're open to openly defining a community, whether it's virtual, sure. international, local, uh, neighborhood, but
2: I think it's thinking about it f- with that first. There's a fuzzy Venn diagram in my mind of podcasts, and there are podcasts that don't count, and there are podcasts that count, and I haven't defined it or written it down. Well, today's show is almost a little bit about that. Yeah.
1: I mean, because we're, and and this is, you know, we're talking about podcasting, but I think this also goes for broadcasting, radio or internet radio. It it also goes for things like community television, public access TV, YouTube, it goes for publishing, it goes for websites. I think we can take these same ideas and we can uh, map it, we can relate. But exactly, we're talking about community first podcasting. And thinking, and, and one of the ways I think we're talking about it is talking about it by celebrating small. Yes. Uh, there is a thing
2: called the iTunes Charts. <laughs> <laughs> now a
1: called Apple Podcast Apple Charts. Apple podcasts they've, X- they've Charts. They've rebranded, and, and they're very upset when people call it the iTunes Charts and it's, now.
2: And it's basically, usually, well, there's, ba- there's a top 10, and then if the you top, dig... One, there's like a top 100. If you dig down, overall. there's a top 100. And then there's some categories, and on and on. But generally speaking even in the weirdo categories, the top 100 podcasts on the Apple podcast charts, those are still, um, that's just the tip of an iceberg. There's so many icebergs out there of podcasts, so many people podcasting. And I think one of the things that you and I have been talking about on Radio Survivor since the beginning, since episode two, is this idea that um, there are some people out there in podcasting land that have an un realistic notion of what the podcast was supposed to accomplish for themselves when they started, they thought they were supposed to get big.
1: Well, I think, and I've seen this same tendency in new DJs to college radio, new DJs to community radio. I've seen it in new producers to public access television or new YouTubers, right? Who, you know, they, they maybe are inspired by somebody who, you know, on YouTube has, has, you know, 10,000 subscribers are inspired by a, a very popular show. Yeah. They're inspired by, you know, a podcast that they know who's very popular and they're like, well, they just started from nothing and built it up to this big show. And, you know, and, and, and kind of wondering, you know, I'm I've done five episodes or, or I've been doing this for a few weeks or I've been doing this for a few months. And where's my millions of followers?
2: You're, where's, you're where's my audience? 50 or you're under 20 even,
1: right? And, and have you failed? Have you failed, right? And, and part of it is, to me always, well, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And even if you're trying to build a big audience, building a big audience for its own sake begs a lot of questions I don't necessarily want to get into. And I'm not saying that, that there's anything wrong with building a big audience, but often you should know why. It really helps to understand, well, why will an audience of this size, what will it do for me? You know, am I looking to to run advertisements or making a lot of money on YouTube? Then then, yeah, you probably need a bigger audience. Am I looking to build community? Well, that's different. Am I looking to help, uh, you know, educate people about something? Well, then maybe that's the audience size relates to your education mission differently than it would to uh making money or differently to another mission and knowing what that mission is is important but we can sit here and talk about this we can we can go down all these reasons but we want to concretize it
2: and that's something which
1: which you yeah i
2: reached out to my personal network and asked everybody to share with me a tiny podcast that they appreciate and a very good friend of mine connected me with another very good friend of mine it all happened on twitter in this case and i spoke with the hosts of a podcast called going last and they have they've have thought about this just as much as we have it's so wonderful their podcast is about uh, tabletop games, and it seems like they've been podcasting longer than we have, at least here
1: at Radio Survivor. Their show has been out, going on quite some time. There are yeah, like two, three hundred episodes. We didn't right? get
2: into it. They inherited their show from the original hosts, oh, so the the, the individuals that I spoke with uh haven't have been podcasting probably about as long as you and I have. I'm not hundred percent sure, but they've despite the fact that their show is not about community radio or community podcasting, they've actually put a lot of interesting thought into what it means to podcast to a small audience, an audience of under 500 people. Well, So we're going to hear from them in just a moment. Uh, before
1: we jump into that, I wanted to give people a little preview. Maybe We'll talk a bit, a little bit more after we, after we hear from the hosts of going last, but uh, coming up on the next show, Uh, It's great. We're going to hear from a friend of the show. His name is Alvaro Burns. He goes by Burns, and he's a community broadcaster, podcaster in Brazil. And he's going to talk about something going on in Brazil, which I had not heard of until Alvaro got a hold of us and told us, where they're basically going to get rid
2: of AM radio Hmm. and and move those broadcasters to FM radio. Brazil is a very large place with a very diverse media landscape that Uh, the United States is a very large place with a very diverse media landscape. And we, and we are in this process here in the U S of something
1: called AM revitalization, where the plan to revitalize AM is mostly about giving AM broadcasters Repeater stations on FM.
3: It's strange. <laughs> so it's
1: similar, except that right now we're not going to shut down AM radio. AM stations get to stay there, but they're all getting little, uh, they're called translators, little low powered, uh, not all of them, but they have the opportunity to apply this summer for little. Uh, repeater stations on the FM dial so there's there 's some parallels here, and so it 's going to be very interesting for us not to always be quite so hyper focused what 's goes on here in I the us that. and to maybe take some lessons from uh, another uh, large uh, industrialized country.
2: Well, I'm really looking forward to that episode of Radio Survivor next week where we go back where we go back into the world of community radio outside of the United States and Canada. Yeah, just
1: radio in general. It's really wonderful. I've been really hoping to have an opportunity to talk to Alvaro. He's a great uh, friend of the show, great listener. And uh, we'll put a link to his own show, uh, which he podcasts. He puts up a mixed cloud. It's available lots of places called Ahora do del Caffegino. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that remotely correctly, um, which is basically the coffee hour. Oh, In, 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 uh, in English. So that will be next week on the show. And one thing I wanted to mention very quickly is that July 12th is the day of action to save net neutrality, internet freedom, the freedom to, uh, consume whatever content you make. You want to on the internet as well as distribute uh, whatever content you want on the internet without it worrying about it being slowed down. I can't or believe
2: we're back here or again. there being uh, speed Didn't, bumps in your am way. Am I having deja vu? Are we're we living having, this reality all over we're having again? Deja vu all over we again. We fight for net neutrality every day. Just feels like
1: every year, every two well two years in this every case. two
2: years, net neutrality change yeah. of administration, and every two years feels like every and our year. new uh, Republican commissioner, uh, head uh, of the FCC, Ajit Pai. Ajit Pai, uh, yeah, Trump's appointment to the FCC, who uh, Jeb Bush would have appointed to probably. Well, he was already on the FCC, right? Uh, uh, to, to head the FCC, to is, head the FCC. Is yeah. What I should have said. Uh, has uh, never been a fan
1: of net neutrality. and, 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 And we knew this. He made that rather clear during the last administration, but now he's in charge. So uh, groups and companies
2: and individuals you know and who activists else is not a fan of net neutrality. Who else? The giant companies that own the internet in the <laughs> United States of America. Strangely enough, they're not, and they have <laughs> a lot of lobbying power. And they have a lot of lobbying power, so, so we're getting that's together, why we keep having to fight them.
1: On and this. you can learn more. Uh, we'll have something up at our website, radiosurvivor.com, so you can learn more about things you can do. On July twelfth, the day of action to save net neutrality, wow. I just want you to put that in your calendar and to check
2: it out on our website, uh, and you can and you can learn a bunch more. Yeah, because we uh, we here at Radio Survivor need to do another net neutrality episode soon, I suppose. Yeah, we'll I don't know if there's any change. We could just rerun the old well, net think, neutrality I think, episodes. I think what
1: we want to do is to talk a bit more about what you and I, individuals, right. can do. What what is the where can you best target your efforts and educating each other, educating yourself. I think that's kind of where we want to go. So we'll, we'll come back. We'll try to get that done before July 12th.
2: I have uh a, Twitter ads from Comcast telling me that net neutrality is fine. They love net neutrality, but Title two does not equal oh, neutrality. Oh well, we don't. Yeah, let's not
1: That's let's a, not get too much into it. Yeah, like, they're, they're they took
2: me into the weeds with their title, promoted tweets. Oh, I know. But I, I'll leave it there.
1: Yeah, they're talking points, man. Uh, title II, which of course is the premise under which the
2: FCC can actually regulate net neutrality. I wonder if that tweet is just for me. Are they just? Are they just trolling me? <laughs> <laughs> cuz who who knows what title 2 is on twitter
1: Uh, lots of people on Twitter I think
2: maybe maybe not so much on Facebook but lots of people on Twitter. We here at Radio Survivor we'll keep redefining title 2 for you Uh, listen to past episodes
1: yes and you can find all the past episodes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and you know if you're listening to us as a podcast or maybe you're listening to us on the radio maybe you miss an episode here and there what would be wonderful is if you would subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app whether you use Apple Podcasts, you use iTunes, you use uh, Stitcher, do you use Pocket Cast or Overcast, whichever app you use, subscribe. Uh, You can search and find us on all of those major podcast applications. Google Play, we're there. Uh, Just hit, hit that subscribe so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you take it a step further, we'd really appreciate it if you'd rate the program. Click on some stars or even better, leave a review. And that's because... Uh, when you do that, all these little algorithms get together and they
2: promote the show, and other people can you find make it out about seem it. Like a Disney animated film, it is. Imagine them all as the uh, as they the, did seven make the emoji film. So I think the algorithm film is not far behind. The
1: seven doors of algorithm. Uh, they get together and they will help promote the
2: show to other other you, you give, fairy you princesses. Give people a chance to find out about us. Yeah. By by uh, giving the algorithm the opportunity to notice small us, small shows can be hard to find. Small shows, which is what our podcast is about today. Yes. Why do you do it if no one finds out about you? Uh, you hope that people will find out about you, but what if the amount of people listening to your podcast, YouTube, or channel, watching your video, etc., radio yeah. show? What if it's under three hundred people? What if it's only a few dozen people? And. uh... We have thought about this at radius River Paul and I uh, talk about it often off mic and on and it's really been some it's been a, a point of growth for me as a podcaster I feel really energized now about projects that I choose to do week after week regardless of audience size and that's a big shift for me in my life That's a recent development as as someone who uh, creates things and thinks about things and uh, I had the opportunity to speak with some podcast friends of mine that have also been thinking about these topics. So I'm really excited to bring that to to you, the listener, and to you, Paul, today. We're joined on the line by Kenna Conklin and Richard Molina Weber, who are the co-hosts of the podcast Going Last, based in Portland, Oregon. Thank you, you guys, for joining us today on Radio Survivor.
0: Hey, thanks for having
2: us. So glad to be here. Yeah, and we're here to talk about your tiny podcast, how little is your podcast? How, how big is, do you guys mind? Is that like, that's probably no, like the worst thing to ask a podcaster who can't brag about how big their audience is.
3: No, I think podcast listenership is a lot like salaries at jobs. Like no one wants to really talk about it because they're nervous that other people have more salary than they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's good for perspective. Um, so we have about 300 downloads per episode. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's like, that. that is the. This is why we're talking, because so many podcasts that everyone knows about uh, come off of the iTunes charts, and no matter where you are, 300 is wonderful, right? Put 300 people in a room, and you feel like one of the most popular people you know, right? But but take 300 downloads and compare it to who's the top 100 chart toppers on the iTunes charts in your category, and uh, you won't get there with. 300 more, give or take. Although I'm no expert. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. How do you know? So how do you know the size?
3: We use a service called Blueberry and they track the downloads for us. That being said, it is been long discussed whether how accurate that really is and how to track podcast downloads and that that is a challenging thing Um, some people use that to kind of average up their downloads Mm -hmm. Um, I choose to kind of just take what I get from our service even though I don't I'll admit to you fully understand the accuracy of that number but that is what our service tells us
2: yeah I should mention your podcast is called going Last, and it's a podcast in which you guys talk about tabletop games right
0: that's right we talk a lot about um all sorts of board games the ones we're playing we talk about you know just general gaming news and then we talk a lot about the latest games you can find on Kickstarter
2: oh kind of a sounds like a good uh, a good niche like a Kickstarter game community am I right yeah wrong? we try
0: to do oh my gosh uh, like economic all style reviews of things you know let people know what what's is good on Kickstarter and what they might want to avoid
2: hmm interesting so I wonder do you is that your niche? Do you guys think that you're the, the one podcast doing Kickstarter gaming? Or is, <laughs> is that even...
3: Absol- absolutely not. Oh, so, cool. Um, <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> so, yeah, no, the funny thing about um, covering tabletop gaming is that news and information on tabletop gaming is really, really decentralized. That there isn't um, single voices or main places that you can find information, even board game company websites are incredibly undependable. Um, They really don't post information about their own games, huh. which is kind of tremendous. Huh. <laughs> um, so Kickstarter has really emerged as kind of the bleeding edge and the centralized, one centralized place to find new games and what's coming up next and what the new hot is. So we definitely cover that to be kind of the bleeding edge of gaming, but it's also... Kind of everyone's bleeding edge of gaming, <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, if you're a tabletop gaming podcast, which, because there's no centralized you know kind of media for this, there's a ton of us out there, <laughs> and I think that's part of why we have such an audience size that we do is because there's just a glut of us
2: yeah, um, I wonder, are you are you finding an audience on Kickstarter or is that just uh, um, that's not your platform to interact with with people who listen to you?
0: Yeah, we don't generally. I mean, we don't we don't comment on Kickstarter or anything, but we do get a lot of people. And our the the way we deal with going last is we look at things that are coming out in the next week, so they're wrapping up their campaigns. We're mm. we're seeing how they've done, how they've trended over time. A lot of podcasts do focus on the very very beginning of things or even previews, and we're just not interested in that yeah. <laughs> as much. We want to see like what has actually happened and what is likely to happen, what is the best outcome on a lot of these.
2: Oh, interesting. Well. Uh, How do you interact with your audience? How do you know who they are?
3: Mainly it's through Twitter. Twitter is, you know, really still a very powerful platform in the way that anyone who subscribes to you or follows you has a a very good chance of seeing your posts and you can be put into lists where you're followed Mm -hmm. and that if people mention you, you're gonna see it. You know, Facebook was that for a while, but then with all their filtering and things like that, that you were getting such a low percentage of your followers actually even seeing your posts due to the algorithms that they had, that Twitter still maintains that And also the nice thing about Twitter is that a lot of the game companies and designers and creators are on there. And so after we've done a podcast, we can do shout outs to them and say, hey, we featured your game. We talked about your game, you know, FYI. And a lot of times you'll get retweets and likes from that, which then helps spread the word of our podcast going last. And it's also the best place for our listeners to, we do listener questions. So they send us questions in or just give us comments or promote us. And which we appreciate so much, um, but I would say Twitter is really our main main place.
2: Yeah, that's wonderful. So how? Um, so every week you get a little bit of uh, new information from Twitter.
3: You mean do we hear from followers and yeah. people about the you show hear, every week? You
2: hear the voices of your followers on Twitter.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think message boards at some point in time might have been that, but I think. Twitter is the new sort of message board for that sort of thing.
0: Once upon a time we had a uh, a voicemail <laughs> set up for the podcast <laughs> and so we would record people's voicemails and play them, but that was that's been a long time since since that's been the preferred medium for us.
2: That's funny cuz that it makes that made me assume that your podcast started in the nineties, but that's not what it, that's not what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> Once upon a it's been time, around a long time <laughs> before
2: Twitter. We we were voicemailing. <laughs> we're on the line with uh, Richard Molina Weber and Kenna Conklin, who are co hosts of the podcast Going Last, and we're talking about tiny podcasting, little audiences for podcasts. Um, what's the goal of Going Last, guys? Why do you do it? And um, like, what would you say? is like the value of of your audience size like would it be better if you had a
3: hundred times as many
2: people listening
3: i mean i'm not going to say no to that yeah <laughs> um, i don't know that it would be better but it sure would be fun um the main goal of this podcast is a hundred percent to share our love of games um richard and i are both huge tabletop gaming fanatics whether that's role-playing games board games card games dice game we love it all And we're enthusiastic about it and want to share that joy of games with other people. But the board gaming world is kind of in a golden age right now where there is so much and people who are transitioning into these fancier games, if you will, it's really hard to know where to start. And so I think a main aim of what I bring to the podcast is accessibility, is trying to help people understand what these games are, um, what the experience might be like, and what might be appealing to them. Rich brings a crunchier edge to the podcast.
0: I use a little bit of my math background and do some analysis and things like that and talk about strategies in games and games. And, you know, what I see is positive mechanics and useful, useful tools to play games, putting them together in categories so that if you've played a game that's something like this one, then you can jump into, you know, the one we're talking about today as well. So, I don't know, we do a lot of that and we kind of inform people about games and the things that might be good for them and the, the ones they might be interested in. And a lot of the, the feedback we get from people has traditionally been, oh my gosh, you made us spend money on Kickstarter or <laughs> go buy that game. That, uh, <laughs> like my poor wallet. And that's, that's kind of good. That means we're doing what we want to be doing.
2: Richard, I, I actually happen to know that you also have a YouTube channel where you do something very similar. Do the, do the two feed into each other? Do you like Do you see them as related?
0: I, I do in a, a general sense of, you know, I just really like games sort of thing. I do have fans for both of them that are or both of these projects that are related. They like both of them. You know, they get different things out of it. Yeah. I'm certainly not on my my YouTube channel trying to talk about what's going on right now or, you know, oh, this, right. this news idea. I'm doing more, you know, older games and analysis and strategy. Some of it's new, but that's not my focus. So this This is so much fun because we we get to deal with like, you know, we read the news, we're going to record today. We read the news today and yesterday to find the the newest things we could, the things we were most interested in. I should tell the listeners that
2: you're joining us only moments before you record your podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your (laughs) podcast to podcast with me, Um, which is a nice segue. We can talk about uh, what do you get out of it? Like, if no one was listening at all, and I know the answer to this. This is like a rhetorical question. If no one was listening at all, would you still do it? Or if you if you had no way of knowing whether or not there was even one listener, would you still, you know, get into a room together and and uh would you record? Would you talk? What? <laughs> I should I'll finish that question now. What's your answer? <laughs>
0: I absolutely would. I mean, this is a great opportunity for Kenna and I to get together and we just get to talk about games. You know, we we spend plenty of time before we record just looking at things and trying to decide what we want to talk about. And that planning process is really great. Like we we get to you know, we make fun of games that we don't like and we decide not to talk about them because we only want to talk positive on our podcast. And so, yeah, there's a, it's just it's a it's a fun experience. And you know there are times when when I you know maybe I'm not reading Twitter and I don't know who's who's commenting, but I I just like the idea of taking our voices and getting it out there, you know, just saying that we we have studied, we have done something, we have built something, and I think that's really worth it as as a an object that exists now, an audio object even without listeners. I think that's great.
3: I agree with Rich. Um, it definitely is, you know, with our both having this joy of games, it's great to be able to get together with, you know, one of my oldest friends and talk games, you know, for three hours. And the podcast gives us a good excuse of otherwise being like, hey, Rich, you want to come over and talk games for three hours? I don't know that he would say yes to that unless we were recording. Uh, <laughs> but another question I get asked sometimes by other podcasters about audiences and about starting podcasts and whether it's not worth it or not to do it is I always say to them, what is the minimal amount of listeners you need to make this amount of effort worth it? Is it if 50 people were listening, would that be enough? If 20 people were listening, would that be enough? And I've thought about that myself. And I think Richard's right. I think I would do this anyway. But also, I think that number for me has been as low as you know, 10 to 20 people, that if we have any amount of people who are enjoying our you know, breakdown and analysis of games, that makes it worthwhile.
2: Yeah, that's a great answer. I actually have I have gone on such a journey with that uh issue myself because I came from a radio station where I never knew the number of listeners, but I could just assume it was um potentially an interesting large amount. Uh, you know, not sure. even it could have even just been in the low hundreds some nights, some some late evenings. But going from <laughs> going from being on a, on the radio to going to podcasts and wishing that the audience was uh, big enough to uh, to brag about. And now I have projects that I they're they're like writing in a journal by speaking out loud with someone I'm very close with. And having that just for me. I'm the audience, basically. It's a phone conversation that I record <laughs> for myself to enjoy an infinite number of times or a conversation with a family member. I think that the potential for tiny podcasts has yet to be fully to be fully celebrated. I think
0: we are going to try something a little bit strange in the near future because there there are quite a few podcasts in our our oeuvre yeah. that um, that go to conventions and they do you know live performances and so we are hoping in a in the future to start you know try one of those out and see what happens like how many of our listeners will come to you know, Packs Unplugged, say, in, in Philadelphia and come to listen to us? Will we be able to fill a room with 50 people? Will we have like 10 of our best friends there? Or, you know, we have no idea, but it's kind of fun to think about what, what that could be. Or will we get brand new people at that, depending on what we want to talk about? So right. we, we're looking at some extensions, but but that doesn't change like the value of what we're doing right here.
3: Yeah. Yeah. and And to kind of comment on what you were saying about, you know, how many people are saying as a phone call for myself, I have at times made the joke of... Podcasts are you know this era's live journal that you know it's like where kids might be like, "Dad, why do you have this website that's just your journal online you know I, I think you kind of hit on something there where I think podcasts for a lot of people are their passions put to a recording rather than words on a computer screen or pen on a paper. I think that's a hundred percent true, and I think we're lucky when we get people who want to read our journals if you will right. i mean i'm if I had 10 listeners and two of them interacted with me on Twitter. Good enough.
2: Yeah. Well, we're still joined on the line by Kenna Conklin and Richard Molina Weber, who are the co-hosts of going last a podcast with a relatively tiny audience about tabletop gaming. Uh, how many people in your audience do you like know personally?
3: Oh, that's a good question because there's a couple answers to that, I think. I mean, there's that we know personally as in our friends of ours who were friends before we started doing the podcast and also people we've met through the podcast that we're friendly with. Oh. Um. So I think if we keep it to just people we knew before we started doing the podcast who listens, I think that number is pretty small. I think out of our, you know, if we're approximating somewhere around 300 downloads, that would be in the 15-ish?
2: Hmm. Yeah, but that's that's a number and like what's do those people interact with you about you know do they do they uh do they start conversations with you on a regular basis about the thing you just podcasted about
0: they do sometimes especially when we're focused on kickstarters i think that is Hmm. that is the big one because they they will come to us and be like you made me buy this game and now we have to play it come over and play this game i know it's a perfect situation for us (laughs) i think it's great
2: that's really wonderful And uh, you guys answered this already, but I want to ask again, like what else has come from this podcast project? You get together once a week to focus on something that you really love. And I wonder if um, because it's because you're recording it and because it goes out there, has it led to anything unexpected?
3: I think Rich has been the main benefactor of the podcast and I'll let him get into the great stuff that he's become involved in and worlds that have been opened up to him. But I think the main thing that we've both benefited from is really getting access to this industry that by having this podcast, you know, we can talk to game designers, we can go to conventions and have accessibility into these people who are making these things that we are so, so interested in. um, I think that is a huge benefit to both improving how we do our job on this podcast and in expanding our own horizons and our own limitations of what we may be liked as games and blowing that way wider.
0: Yeah, I think the, the first time that I got a press badge to a convention because of this podcast, you know, that was that was a really good feeling. Mm. <laughs> and it just meant, you know, and when I walked through, people would be like, well, one person was like, ooh, press, that's great. What do, what do you do? But, you know, it was just neat to be be part of it and be, you know, by this organization seen as, you know, a worthwhile entity that they want to have in the space. Like, that's great. Another benefit that I think has been good for both of us is getting access to these game designers that we interview and talk to about their games, because when they are looking for collaborators, they're, you know, they're looking for people who are familiar to them. So we have been able to playtest material for Dungeons & Dragons. Um, we playtested Phoenix Dawn Command, and both of us were actually listed as developers in that game just from contributing ideas. And that a lot of that is because we happen to meet these people through our... I don't know, because we have some kind of gaming authority now. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a designer named uh, Mike Selinker who made uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, and I got to write um, a haunt for that, um, the new expansion that came out in Halloween, or on Halloween. And that was just a really cool thing. And again, I, yeah, I don't know that w- these things would have happened if we weren't here already putting our voices out. So even if the, the community is small, it's pretty strong. Um,
2: yeah, hosting a podcast like on a on a regular basis is um, it's a badge of honor. It It's a, it's a uniform that you can put on and declare your intention to take something seriously. And so I'm certainly now uh, more proud of my comprehensive knowledge of community media <laughs> and podcasting than I was prior yeah. to, to, to doing this weekly work of, of radio survivor. It's a very interesting, unexpected outcome. I mean, I guess it, shouldn't be entirely a surprise like you 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 know more about something and you know more people
3: Mm -hmm. well and i think that additional knowledge also leads to a deeper commitment and i've definitely seen that with rich and that atomic game theory his youtube channel that you mentioned before spun out from going last and not like directly but i would attribute it as just getting him more focused on gaming and his love of gaming, and then starting to kind of attune more parts of his life to it. And, you know, getting to be a game designer, a game developer and a game theorist and commentator um, just really, as we continue to participate in this world, we keep having opportunities to really commit to it, which is so exceptional. I think we really appreciate that and don't take that for granted at all.
2: Paul and I, call it community podcasting because because there's something about it that um it builds community it's a very specific uh outcome from the from the activity it's it's for communities but it also builds communities
3: yeah totally agree
2: well kenna conklin and richard molina weber of going glassed the podcast how do people check out your podcast
3: Well, as always, we're on the internet, (laughs) Twitter, like we said, at Going Last. We also have a website, goinglast.net, that has all our podcasts and also show notes for everything so people can get lots of great detailed information on all the things we talk about. Uh, We're on Facebook also at Going Last, if people are still on Facebook. Just kidding. Uh
2: (laughs) (laughs) There was more breaking news even yesterday to convince us that it might be, uh, you know, not the most nutritious use of our free time. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> that um, but yeah <laughs> um, Rich's other content is at atomic dot com and he does live play fiasco which is a role playing game at gosh darn fiasco dot simulcast dot FM so we're all over the place um, we're also at conventions doing panels Rich is going to be doing a panel at Gen Con which is a huge the biggest gaming convention I'm um, doing his kind of gaming theory 101 panel which is fantastic so we're out there. You can find us.
2: Yeah, and I bet you, Richard, Molina Weber, that your uh, facility at being a person doing a panel is more of a developed skill post-podcast.
0: Absolutely. I mean, certainly uh, spending a lot of time teaching helps as well. But oh, yeah, I basically yeah. have two separate public speaking careers. <laughs> so so putting them together to do a panel is is you know no problem at all now. And especially when I know that people who know about our podcasts are gonna be in the audience.
1: Thanks again to Richard Molina Weber and Kenna Conklin of the Going Last Podcast. Interviewed here on Radio Survivor. You can find our archives of the show. This is episode number 98. So you can see our show notes where you can find their podcast and everything we talk about. We try, to, we try to give you lots of ways to follow up if you want to. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and look for episode number 98. And I know we'd love to hear from you. Do you do a podcast? What do you think about your audience? Or are there some like, is there a podcast or radio show even that you think is really cool but you you don't think other people know about? Tell us about it. Tell
2: us why it's cool. Drop us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We here at Radio Survivor are synthesizing some worlds that I think were siloed in the past. And I think we're trying to pull them together even in our own minds. And it's, it's... one way to describe all of it is community media, so people who do old, old people who broadcast on the radio, people who have YouTube channels, people who do public access, people who do podcasting, people who do college radio. All of these things um, are thought are, are thought of as separate categories, and we here at Radio Survivor have started to wonder: um, how do we pull them together? Even they need a name, right? I mean.
1: I mean, I think it's community. I mean, I still feel like community media media still works, right? So some folks are listening to us on on the internet. Some folks are listening to us on X Ray FM in Portland. And so an X Ray FM is community media, it's not commercial. Um, There's talk programming in, in the morning, there's great music programming in the evening, lots of different types of things and certain shows have their own community yeah right and there's the community of portland there's the community around the show uh and that community could maybe exist because the show exists or maybe the show was created to serve a particular community and that helps to grow the community or we we talk you just talked to the folks making this podcast going last and they serve a community of people who are enthusiasts of board games or as they call tabletop tabletop games. games now because they're not necessarily all Boards, right? They're not all just—they don't all look like sorry or uh, shoots and ladders anymore. And they most uh, certainly do not. Exactly, but they serve that community—a particular community of enthusiasts—and that community, I think, has has like a geographical instantiation. There's certainly people here in Portland where they live who are into these sorts of games, but then there are people all around the world. Who are also into these sorts of games, yeah. and they and they also seem to have a relationship, or at least some kind, they have a relationship of sorts with other
2: podcasts. Yeah, these games are actually really unique pieces of uh, media because, much like the silent films of the early twentieth century, they're international, and in that right. all you have to do is translate a few instructions, and now the invention that worked really well in the German language uh, tends to translate very well into English. Uh, no problem you don 't have to change much
1: and I, and I suspect these games themselves also hew to this community media idea because i mean they 're physical objects, only so many of them get made, most of these that they 're talking about are made by. Individuals or small groups of individuals, yeah. well, especially the
2: Kickstarter community right. that they're talking, small they're startup covering.
1: companies. You know, so we're not talking about Milton Bradley or, or we're not talking about Hasbro or we're not talking about big game companies. We're talking about kind of real independent stuff, yep. independent publishers here, right? You know, where maybe they, you know, not only they have to be small because in a way to be bigger requires more capital to have more gains made, right. (laughs) To, to, to make more parts and more cards and whatever goes into it. There's a point at which, you know, smallness
2: is a virtue as well on that side. Yeah, I want to bring it back to this idea uh, of the starting point for me was, uh, was a big moment of growth. And you helped me get there uh, way back on episode three. I'm going to think of the radio survivor podcast two years ago, and, um, it's this idea that you haven't that you are succeeding at what you do, even if your audience is not as big as you had hoped that audience size
1: be. is is only one amongst many factors and values I think by which you can evaluate yeah, don't give up a media enterprise, and you
2: know it was so i, but I if you go to the internet and you google like. I tried to google this topic mm-hmm. and I was very sad instantly cuz everything at the top of the google results for my different uh, various ways to google this topic were how to grow your podcast so that you win mm-hmm. like get the most listeners now because that's where you money make and it it was really discouraging I think it discourages a lot of people from starting the work or for feeling and it, especially or doing
1: we, a little bit of the work and yeah. then feeling bad because they're not seeing these, stopping
2: before you get to episode right, ten, which we sort of
1: talked about at the top of the show. You know, it's I I really appreciated this point that Kenna brought up in your interview where she said, you know, amongst podcasters talking about downloads is sort of like talking about salary, right? How much money you make? Yeah, it, that's which a very which, good it, metaphor. which at least in American culture we can say is something which. You don't do, right? And in part you don't do because everyone's a little afraid, you know, if I mention how much I make, am I either gonna come off like uh, <laughs> like like daddy warbucks? Is everyone gonna think that I'm I'm you know, wake make all this money and I'm way outclassed these people, or am I gonna be way outclassed? Am I gonna be the person who feels like, oh my god, I'm so undercompensated? Because part of that, I think what goes underneath that is the feeling that, you know, somehow how much you make reflects on your worth. How your many, worth a person, how many your,
2: downloads you get for your podcast or YouTube channel reflects on the worth of your yeah, show. I certainly feel uh, a little bit of click envy for projects that I've posted. Like if it doesn't get above uh, 55 or a hundred, I'm worried that right. no one will, that people will think less of my work but before I think they even click.
1: An interesting parallel to me maybe is like, if we think about uh, music, so you know, you and I were Generation X, and we sort of came up through the rise of alternative and indie rock. I'm the world's oldest millennial. Okay, um, and uh, and Gen X, yes, and, and and part of those values sometimes was a value of small, meaning like independent artists, right? Rather than signing to a major label, there was something to be said for that. Yeah, right. You know, when we thought of like, uh, people may have heard of the band Fugazi. Uh, a punk band from uh, the D.C. area. Uh, Ian Mackay is one of the, the principals in the band, and he also c- runs a label called Discord Records, an independent writ label that's done things its own way. A right? hugely
2: popular band that did not often get played on mainstream radio. And
1: yet toured, you know, probably has millions of fans now around the world, never signed with a major label, uh, and they you know famously had very simple contracts with the bands. Uh, they didn't lock bands into contracts. They're basically like, we'll put out your record. And we wanted to do well, um, and wasn't they weren't necessarily shooting for millions and millions, and they weren't shooting for arena concerts and and things like this. But they they developed a, a really passionate following, and and I think that there are still many many bands following yeah. in, in those footsteps. But
2: even Fugazi is a huge hit, right? Compared to uh, the Radio Survivor podcast, oh well, absolutely, like right, yes, like We are course. not Fugazi. We are. We are the band you've never heard We're
1: of. We're the band that made 207-inch that made singles or 200 cassette tapes and sold them at their shows as they traveled across <laughs> yet, the U.S. Yeah, you and know? yet
2: it's worth uh, – don't break up. Don't break up because you, you're not Fugazi. Right. But why did you bring up Fugazi?
1: Uh, because it, cause it was part of this sort of sense of valuing something small and independent. Because yeah, right? Fugazi was not Metallica. Right. Or, or rather, not Madonna. Or rather, not Michael Jackson or Millie Vanilli. I think, uh, you know, because even at that point, Metallica would have been considered small, right? It would take many years before Metallica
2: would be considered big. The scales are mind blowing. Yes, that's but, part of but, the but, problem. But that,
1: there was this value, and, and so people look to look to sort of Ian MacKay and, and and Fugazi to say, oh, that's my inspiration, right? There's a there's a uh, there's a book called Your Band Could Be My Life, and the whole idea was it charted the rise of this sort of. DIY, super independent spirit that took hold in the 80s and 90s of bands booking their own tours, not sure. waiting around to be discovered, not waiting around for a manager to take interest, You know, releasing records however they could for the joy of doing it and building an audience that way. And I think that we, we can take that spirit and reflect it back on community media of all types and c- reflect it back on podcasting. And we can sit here and say, here, Radio Survivor, let- let- let's us, you know, I think uh, we need to be honest, too. Uh, your typical episode of our podcast gets about 250 to 300 downloads after about a month or so. That's, you know, it's a fine audience. If we put, as you say, as you mentioned in, in the interview, if you put everybody into a room together, boy, it feels like a big party, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. If we got a letter from 500 people, 300 people every week, I'd feel very, we feel popular. very,
1: very, very yeah. popular. And, and, and out of that, right? I mean, that's week after week after week. So it's not necessarily always the same 300 people,
2: hmm.
1: right? You have to imagine, you don't, I mean, I miss episodes of podcasts that I love, um, you know, all the time. And so we don't imagine that everyone hears every episode necessarily, though I think there are some people who probably catch as many as they can. So, you know, it, it, you have 300 per downloads probably means you have a larger audience than that, although I can't really tell you what the math is behind it. Um, and on top of that, some of our episodes are like 500. I think our biggest uh, episodes are over a thousand, uh, you know, and, and so some are more popular than others, right? But that gives you a sense for the audience. It's not a popularity contest. And it's not a popularity contest. And we to be reflective. We are talking about something that is comparatively esoteric and possibly not as popular a topic as talking about tech or talking about pop culture or doing comedy, doing improvised comedy, or even talking about politics. And I suspect maybe even talking about you know, uh, tabletop games, <laughs> you know? And so even if we were to sort of add up every person who has a show in community radio in the English speaking world, just cause this happens to be an English language show, I'm not sure that we would have as many people as listen to a single episode of this American life sure.
2: period or on the media
1: or on, that's on a, you know a, a you way. know, and we try to be accessible, you know we don't want this to only be of interest to people who are who are themselves actively making radio. We want to try to bring people in who who care about community media, who care about uh community radio, who want these
2: things to exist and and and, and share the values that are that are beneath active it active listening. I think is like one like we like some people are welcome to just be consumers, but mm-hmm. they should uh, they should consider themselves uh, honored consumers, right? Oh, like, right, yeah, we because we, like, we
1: really that's why we always say thank you because we really you know I, I, I if you were you know if you go to a party and and uh, and it turns out only a few people showed up and the host is very upset and put out yeah. because only a few people showed up, but you're one of them. And they just pout the entire time. You feel like, well,
2: thanks. You don't really appreciate that I'm here. You've heard this on a podcast, haven't you? (laughs) That's where this comes from, is you've heard podcasters pout at their listener Mm -hmm. for not being a hundred other people. For not being a hundred other people. Whereas we're thrilled for every single one of you. And I
1: think that that's that's a perspective. But then I think even stepping away, it's, right, you said it's not a popularity contest, right? And so it's thinking about, well, what is it you care about Why do you do this thing right? Because people have plenty of other especially if you're not doing it because you expect it to make a substantial part of your living, although it's lovely if you can like i'm not believing i'm i'm I work in professional podcasting I work in prof- in for profit podcasting, and we are there to try and help podcasters. Who, who reach a bigger audience yeah
2: make and, a living and yet radio survivor does not have that audience and, and, you, yet don't, and don't. you have not
1: quit and i still do it right yeah. and, and because it is to some extent my passion is to some extent a hobby right my hobby could be golf i suppose or tennis you'd have more listeners or to the, or to your good golf podcast yeah i suppose so. there are more
2: golfers than active community
1: radio Most likely humans yes. And, you know, but this could also mean, imagine that if I were, I, I like to knit or i like to needlepoint and I'm making things again, so to many give knitters. away, <laughs> but, but imagine though, instead that I, instead of doing a podcast, I was knitting is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, or, and so how many, how many scarves, how many hats could I knit in a year and give away and sell? Could I, right. could I reach 300 people with my knitting? And I, and, I, and that seems a little absurd, but it's, it's not actually, if, if you're thinking in those, in, in those sorts of terms. Um, In that this is interesting in that it is a hobby. It is an activity. It is an avocation that you can do and actually reach more people than you would most ways. We're a little spoiled. The internet has changed our sense of scale Mm -hmm. because if we we go to times before the internet or when the internet was less pervasive, uh, to reach people with a mediated message required lots and lots and lots of money. And and there were all, you know, and there are ways in which people would circumvent that system. You could make zines, right? And you could, but it still required some money to photocopy or you had to like steal photocopies from the place you worked or something. But even so, reaching two or three hundred people with that zine required a lot of effort. Sending them around, postage, and people exchanging a tremendous amount of effort, or even distributing an independent uh, CDR, an independent cassette, uh, you know, independent music. And it, it was difficult. And now it's become very easy. But what I think is easy, there's like this uh, slippery slope. People think, well, since now it's easy to distribute, it ought now to be easy to have millions of listeners. Yeah. And as it turns out, it is not necessarily the case. It turns out that through mechanisms and means that nobody knows for certain, some independent podcasters or video makers, etc., spike to popularity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They they get they get very, very popular. And some of it sometimes it's slow growth, and sometimes it's rocketing growth. But nobody really knows why. There's no anyone who tells you that they've figured it out is full of it. If you're talking about a resourced organization, a public radio station, uh, a company uh, that has money to spend in developing a podcast, they might be able to build an audience because they also can advertise, because they also have an audience somewhere else that they can bring to their podcast and of these other mechanisms, right? But just an individual who doesn't walk into it with an audience. So you're not already a famous person mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form, whether it's famous to the world or famous in the sub community. Yeah. You're starting at zero. You're you, you know, and it will be one by one, but that think about why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you want to make a living at it? Great. You, but just starting your podcast, your two friends talking, a, it might. It might take ten tough. years
2: of work it might to make a living, years,
1: right? And there are some people who got in on the ground floor when there were fewer podcasts and mm-hmm. there were fewer popular podcasts, and you know, there's very little you can do. We can't turn the clock back to 2010 or 2011 and start your podcast then. If you're starting it today, it's simply you. You have to deal with the situation as it is now, not the situation as it was then. Lightning might strike twice but are you going to walk out into an electrical storm, uh, you know, holding a 20 foot pole? And do you know, can you, can, can you predict where that's going to be?
2: Yeah. My big takeaway for this topic, uh, the big change in my life is just that, um, it's very, it's very personal and that it's when you engage in this kind of activity on a regular basis, uh, you learn and you grow and, uh, develop new uh (laughs) skill sets and expertise i i i just know more about what podcasts are yeah by by podcasting every week about them yeah there's
1: no accounting for
2: uh experience yeah it's It's difficult for me to put it into words but i really feel that anyone out there with a passion and a notion that they think they might want to podcast about that passion to um, to put a little more effort into into starting and to going for it and to uh, to not worry about how many people end up listening because the growth over time is really uh, special. It really helps to 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 set a goal to set a deadline and to to hit that deadline on a regular basis and to push through. The weird, boring parts where it doesn't feel right anymore to and to not give up because um, because there's so much to learn and you're not actually as a as a person that wants to produce an independent podcast you don't know where what direction you're going to go in but if you if you keep heading if you keep moving forward uh, you're going to learn so much about the topic that you were passionate about and you're going to meet more people that are also passionate about that topic and uh, if you're doing it right, people will be engaged with the media that you create in ways that are unexpected, and uh, connections and community forms. And so, uh, people and you'll you'll you might find more people that care about that thing that you thought you were alone in caring about. And those might be the people that you should uh, pursue this project with. You should be open and flexible to uh, yeah. to working with other people. It's a really, it's a really unique opportunity to, um, to form clubs around <laughs> passions, this podcasting community media world. And again, it doesn't have to be a podcast. It could be a YouTube channel. It could be a blog.
1: Yeah. So this is radio survivor and I'm Paul Reese. with me is Eric Klein. We are talking about the value of small. In in, in terms of community media, in terms of community focused media, whether that community is local and geographic or global and interest based and why small can be great and is something which, you know, isn't just tolerated, but perhaps even celebrated that everything doesn't have to be oriented for the largest mass audience. And I think a lot of people who like or into community radio or into independent things, often they embrace that, right? And in some cases punish Right. Uh, when they feel like a band signed a, a major label contract and is no longer their band and is too popular and doing things they don't like or, you know, they kind of want. Yeah, things.
2: I think Gen X is worried about that. I don't think the millennials yeah, worry but I about think, popularity. Anyways. Well, I
1: think but people like things to feel like it's also theirs
2: and there is a club. Yeah, you've never heard of them.
1: You know, it, I mean, there is line. there is a little bit of of that, but it can be also in a positive sort of way. And the sort of advice you were giving there, Eric. I mean, I think yeah, that's the kind of advice I hear people giving giving aspiring writers. Sure, keep at it, keep doing it's it. Podcast
2: is writing out loud,
1: and and a lot of podcasters I've heard some who became uh, who became became popular or in some who maybe just keep at it say so a great reason to, to do their podcast is it gives them an excuse to go talk to people who are interesting that they want to learn from because somehow that saying hey you know I'd like to talk with you for my podcast so we can so I can learn from you and share what I'm learning not so it doesn't just go into my head yeah. but at least might go into the head of one other person who gets to eavesdrop at the very least that yeah. brings it in and I found you know certainly especially when it, we can say we're going to talk to somebody, you know, who maybe doesn't get bombarded with requests. It's a wonderful opportunity to share something that you love or or or, or share a person and their ideas beyond, right, who may not get asked on the 12,000 other shows or have lots of media requests, the opportunity to sort of give them that little extra bump, that little extra publicity.
2: So I want to ask the listeners the same question I asked my Facebook and Twitter friends are, is there a tiny podcast an audience that you know is very small that Means a lot to you,
1: and by very small, I mean it's so. Uh, I don't want to say false; just is small that you suspect is not. It is not going to be leading the iTunes charts. If you didn't find out chart. about it
2: because it's in the top ten of the IT right. charts, if you found out some other way—word of mouth or it's because your friends or a are making Patreon, it. Patreon, word right. of mouth, uh, blog. Do people find out? Is Patreon a discovery
1: engine? That's what I'm hearing. Oh, neat. That's what I'm hearing. And I know this what Patreon me. would like to do. We are on Patreon, by the way. Patreon.com <laughs> slash Radio Survivor. But yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Podcast at Radio Survivor.com. Yeah, tell us about your or, uh, fandom. Or tweet us. We're on Twitter at Radio Survivor. I'm at Media Geek. You're at E.C. Klein.
2: E-C-K-L-E-I-N.
1: Yeah. Uh, Drop us a line on Twitter, or go to our Facebook page and uh, make a comment there. Where it's Radio Survivor. We're easy yeah, to find. Like
2: tweet at Radio Survivor too.
1: We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what what are what are some great lesser known small uh, and 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 maybe it's on a podcast, maybe it's a YouTube right. channel, uh, maybe it's the a community blog. Media is there
2: community media that matters that to we you?
1: and that we should know about, and maybe we should highlight and expose more. At least expose three hundred more people
2: to. Speaking of. Highlighting and discovery engine, Radio Survivors' own Matthew Lassar has a new show. We talked about it last week. A new old show. It's on ripping Mixed up the charts. And Mixcloud
1: is ripping up the blues chart, which is wonderful. It is called Hybrid Highbrow. So if you just go to mixcloud.com/slash/radio survivor, you will find it. It's on the
2: blues charts.
1: Yes. What's going
2: to happen? Matthew is genre busting. So what's going to happen next time? Well, he re- well releases- he's also ripping up the classical charts. Oh, good. Genre busting. That's the entire purpose of Matthew's concept. Prior to the prior to Mixcloud even being in the picture, Matthew wanted to but bust it, up the genre. He's putting this
1: podcast to shame. <laughs> he's got more listeners yeah. than than any recent episode of the Radio I Survivor. I guess I to podcast. redefine hybrid highbrow. It's a genre busting
2: highbrow yeah. Uh, uh, so music. He, what
1: he basically on this episode Delighted. is that he is he is finding the similarity between a, a uh, 1920s blues singer and Caruso, perhaps the best opera. known opera singer of the early 20th century. And he draws the connections ah, pithily it. and entertainingly, and he does it all in 18 minutes. It reminds so. me
2: of one of my favorite community radio memories ever. It's one of the, like the moment where I was like, gosh, this radio is neat, was when two expert ethnomusicologist DJs were playing a, a song from this isolated cultural community and comparing it to this isolated on the other side of the globe. And you listen to it and music is music. And you really can appreciate how these two disparate tracks what they have in common and then what they have different. And it was the sort of thing I could never have heard on any other radio station than that one community radio station that I tuned into. And Matthew's sort of reproducing that delight here on MixCloud with his hybrid highbrow station. And uh we're all very happy that it's happening.
1: Learn more about anything we talked about on the program at radiosurvivor dot com slash podcast. This is episode number 98 closing on an episode 100 it's going to be fun drop us a line at podcast at radiosurvivor.com this is a listener and reader supported enterprise Uh, learn how to help us keep doing what we're doing at radiosurvivor.com slash support and uh, you know you know subscribe to us on itunes stitcher etc (laughs) etc etc eric my it was name a is Long Time. Yeah. Thanks for
2: doing that great interview. My name is Eric Klein. It's been a delightful time to be here with you. Uh, your name is Paul Reese Mendel. And thank you so much for listening. Bye everybody.